Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Yes, you are. Hello, Joe Devine. Hello, Seb. How are you? I'm very well. And Alex Stewart. Hi, Joe. Hi there. How are you? Fine. We watched different games today so that we can try to uh, spread ourselves across the Euro 2020 coverage and I'm hoping we'll do a good job. Seb and I watched the uh, Switzerland-Turkey game, the game with something in it. And Alex watched the Wales-Italy game, which I'm sure was, from a footballing perspective, possibly the more interesting game. Who knows? We're going to find out. I actually don't know. In fact, um, it was 1-0, was it? Yes. Yeah. I was unsure. I was unsure what the score was. But if you don't ever want to be unsure what the score is, you should visit <laughs> The Athletic. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that for 30 days for free, you'll always know what the score is. And I don't mean the actual score of the game, although that is a feature within the app. What I mean is, what's the score? Hmm? If you ha- if you go to your friends and you meet them at the pub and you were to say, hey, Brad, what's the score today? Brad would say, well, here's my interesting take on what happened at a... Uh, the weekend. Everybody knows about that kind of lingo, don't they? Well, you'll not find that lingo anywhere better than The Athletic. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, a 30-day free trial. You've nothing to lose. Uh, Thanks for your support. And uh, that's all for the intro, I suppose. We'll crack right on with the football today. A few other things to talk about as well, actually, uh, beyond the football. We're going to talk about UEFA and the uh, apparent open investigation into Manuel Neuer a little bit later. Uh, And then we're also going to talk about permutations for what could happen. uh, Now we know the outcome of uh, Group A. And we will finish off, of course, with the points uh, game, which has been named by someone in my uh, Twitter mentions yesterday who is playing it with their family now. And they're all calling it (laughs) Points Are Bad, all capitals, which is a great name. Points Are Bad. We'll come to Points Are Bad at the end of the show. But for now, I will leave you in the, uh, the warm hands and the cool embrace of Alex Stewart and Sebastian Stafford-Bloor. Okay, let's begin with Turkey 1, 3 Switzerland. This was the game that required a win from both teams, I believe. It was the the most important game in Group A today, uh, and I believe the final standings are that Italy are going through first on nine points, and Wales are going through second on four points as a result of goal difference. Correct. Correct. That's good to know. Uh, so with Turkey, Switzerland, Turkey all the way out, zero points in the group. A little bit unexpected. We'll come to talk about them a little bit later. Let's start with Switzerland. And of course, where better to start, Seb, than with Harris Seferovic? Uh, because I would like you to now eat your words live on camera. What a lovely goal. What a lovely goal. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. We obviously gave... Uh, young Harris a little bit of a kicking through the opening few games of this competition. Uh, and I don't think I've ever hit, uh, seen him hit a ball so sweetly. Fantastic goal. It's a, it felt a little bit once in a blue moonish. Don't want to take anything You're still away trying to bring him down, aren't you? Yeah, I just... You can't accept... I, you know what? You I, think back, if when Harris Seferovic thinks back across his career, do you not think that that's going to be the goal that stands out of him or one of one of those goals? Well, because it, it proves a podcaster in England wrong. Or just why because, do you always have to make it about you? Because he scored for his country to potentially the take them through. Me. You aimed the conversation at me and I've retaliated. Goodness me. Great goal. Tell me about how great he was today. Hey, great goal. All I'll say um, in mitigation, my mitigation, defence of me is that uh, Turkey's defending was an absolute disgrace. They made the same mistake three or four times. Got punished for it twice. Yeah. But it's extraordinary that a player, great finish that was, I'm you know, being deferential to Harris, 
Great finish though it was. You can't allow a player to take a ball down, take a touch, set himself and shoot without any kind of pressure. It's an international. It's also... It sounds like you're talking about the second goal as well. It was absolutely applicable to the second goal as well. And I felt it was it's kind of indicative of what Turkey were. Turkey were crushing letdown, not just in, in terms of how well their systems worked and how well their individuals played, but just in their attitude. Like, isn't there enough intensity in the game that that early in a match which you have no choice but to win, mm. you don't have, you don't close down. It's such a basic thing. It's not even, you're not even being beaten by a great bit of skill or by a, you know, a 30 yard free kick, which thunders in off the bar. You're being done by basic mental error, really. Yeah. Um, Harris Severovic capitalizes, terrific finish, but goodness me, that was bad. As did as did uh, Jadon Shakiri, and yeah. and yesterday I was excited uh, for today to watch uh, Braylon Bello, who also had a also had a good game, a couple of buccaneering runs, but it really was a uh, uh, Shakiri that stole the show. We said we were we were in a lift with JJ about a week ago, and we were having this conversation about who would be the kind of the the standout player who did something a little bit decadent in the last game, and I think most of us, I think at least two of us, said Shakiri, and this was vintage him, that kind of that movement on the edge of the box, the shape of the shot, wrong foot, by the way. Um, and the second, his second goal that kind of finished the game again, very similar to um, very similar to a goal he scored against Manchester United for Liverpool at Anfield a couple of years ago mm-hmm. in the way that he addressed the ball. Lovely, lovely pass, carving across the defence to open it up. But um, yeah, vintage Shakiri, lovely technique. And it made me think, I, it's kind of, this is purely selfish, but when you have a player like that who chooses to, go and play for a club who's not quite good enough to be an automatic starter for, you feel a little bit cheated because you want to watch him all the time because he's capable yeah. of, of fun football. He's capable of doing things which you remember. Um, his goal in the um, in, in the last European Championship, for instance, mm-hmm. um, you know, goals tonight, fabulous. And you just, I hope he gets a move somewhere where, somewhere, somewhere which is the right size stage for him. Somewhere what, where, what is that? I think uh, if there was no James Rodriguez there at the moment, it would be Everton. Obviously, Everton did come to mind, yeah. He's not obviously going to go there anymore. Um, I could find a, a few Bundesliga landing spots for him. Obviously, he was at Bayern Munich for a while. Uh, you could make a case for him being somewhere like, don't know, Eintracht Frankfurt, maybe. That what about, be a nice fit. What about if, uh, if the Jesse Lingard's permanent move to, to West Ham doesn't materialise? Mm-hmm. I could see him fitting in quite well at West Ham. <sighs> Yeah, me too. I, I wonder whether he's the right personality and whether he's the right stage of his career because, mm. you no, know, he hasn't been central to what Liverpool have done, but he has won a European Cup. He's won a Premier League. He's at a stage of a career where... Did he win the European Cup with uh, Bayern Munich? With Liverpool. With Liverpool. Um, yeah, so okay. he's... I'm not sure he's the character I want at West Ham. Not not, not because there's anything mm-hmm. wrong with Jordan Shakiri. I just mean that I think you want a particular type of personality, a sort of an aspirational sort, a a little bit of a prove yourself on the biggest stage, whereas Shakiri's already done that. Um, and now he's in the kind of the the Indian summer entertainment part of his career. So, no, I don't think so. But the the, the size of club is probably right and the position in the table is, is, is spot on, I'd say. Uh, Alzebert in the uh, the chat says, uh, maybe to Liga, but I expect that's probably not on the cards this So summer. there's actually a video that we can point you in the direction of on the IRL channel, which Joe narrates, lovely monologue which describes just how chaotic the financial situation is in Liga because of um, the MediaPro situation, the collapse of MediaPro, and a very bizarre situation between Canal Plus and Amazon, which, um, yeah, once the podcast's over, have a, have a, have a listen of that because it's um, very unusual, very, very unusual. Mm, yeah. So Shakiri, no, probably earns a little bit too much, and that's a, that'll be a reckless move for anybody 
other than PSG, I'd say. Okay, well, we'll come back to Switzerland when we talk about permutations a little bit later. That's going to be a fun and difficult to follow conversation. Yes, yes. Uh, but let's move on now to to Turkey uh, with a simple question, really, Seb. I want to know from you why they've been so bad. I, I, I figured we could do a bit of a post-mortem because um, yeah. we went into the tournament expecting them to, to play well, possibly to, or it, certainly in my case, I expected them to progress to the knockout rounds, not to lose every game. No, no. I, I watched quite a lot of Turkey prior to the tournament with my father-in-law and felt really positive about them. I think if you go back to our podcast episodes, you hear us say they're going to be fun and attack. They won't be able to defend. They'll make mistakes, but they'll be entertaining and they'll be able to deliver a bit of a punch. And it stunned me. They've been hopeless, absolutely yeah. hopeless. And also... Um, they did score a goal, finally. They scored a lovely <laughs> goal. Jenga uh, Zunda, fantastic hit. But so what, really? Because I, I, I think um, that's the kind of tournament showing that gets managers sacked probably i think it also forces somebody somewhere in the turkish fa to hit the cut the kind of the cultural reset button mm. you'll see a lot of younger players moving into the uh turkish squad ahead of the next qualification cycle because rubbish absolutely rubbish and they also, were rubbish weren't they i i was i was really disappointed with them as a team also some of their individuals yeah uh, so was hapless i thought um chalanolu Chalanoli is a free agent. We were talking about this beforehand. And we're, and we're going to ask Alex about him in a moment as well. Yeah, absolutely. This was his stage. This is going to be the last big contract of his career and a, an opportunity to show just what a good player he is. And he is a good player. And yet, completely bombed. Um, also, I thought that uh, Tufan was a disappointment in midfield. Okai was a, mid, a disappointment in midfield. I thought it was um, rubbish from back to front. The goalkeeper comes out with a little bit of credit because I, I think he made a couple of really, really good saves today and across the other two games. Um, and actually, Turkey have got some good depth at goalkeeper. They've got a, a young guy called Altai who plays for uh, Fenerbahce. He's a super player who probably will make a move to a, a top five league at some point. But really disappointed. I Obviously, I hope for the best for, for my father-in-law. He's really into his football um, and had high hopes. But um, yeah, I just... It would have been interesting. I think, I think if you're beyond your own team... I think you're, everybody's hope ahead of an international tournament is a story. It's something a little bit unknown, a team that you can learn a little bit about on the way. Sort of the Czech Republic 96 situation where you get a kind of a, a Karol Poborski or a Nedved or a Patrick Berger, mm. players you haven't heard of who surprise you and interest you and you find out a bit more about. And um, that was my hope for some of these Turkish players, but um, dreadful, absolutely dreadful. And it also, as we said, uh, the nature of some of the goals they've conceded, the errors they've made are just extraordinary. Are you in some ways glad now not to be at home uh, with your <laughs> Turkish German father-in-law? Does he support Germany as well? He does. Oh, he in which does. case, he'll be fine. My father-in-law is, uh, is Turkish Cypriot and uh, he's um, yeah into his Turkish football, but uh, you know very much behind the German national team. Mm. But uh, some of the best times I've had since I moved to Germany were watching football with him during sort of the good moments. Sure. But he's he's a passionate guy and he's into it and um, he'll be devastated, I'm sure. So uh, Well, he doesn't support he'll England, be doing, does he'll be, so. he'll be doing some gardening now, I promise you. He'll, even if there's no gardening to do, he'll have dug up a bit of lawn and found some gardening to do. Sure, sure. <laughs> Dig a hole. There we go. That always helps everyone, doesn't it? Now, Alex, uh, Seb just mentioned the uh, Hakan uh, Chanalolu, who uh, he said is a is a free agent, uh, is a player who we were expecting to see, you know, great things from, maybe not great things, but a player who we were expecting that would make this tournament their sort of stage upon which to shine. Uh, you know, that was the take uh, from uh, Turkey beforehand. 
Uh, he's been looking apparently uh, or reportedly for a move away from, from AC Milan. He's probably got one big contract left in him. And uh, he's been a player that has caught the eye of many scouting departments across your Europe. Europe. <laughs> uh, so what do you make of him for a start? And what did you make of him in this tournament? Saying, of, uh, Taking into account, of course, he didn't see today's game. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so good and bad. Mm. Um, can I leave it there? No. Yes, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that the thing with Chalanolu is that he, um, when he's at his best, he is the slightly chaotic element in an otherwise relatively patterned system. Uh, so he does have the ability to play lovely through balls. He is creative. He can sort of sit in the pocket, the, the kind of the 10 space or dropping slightly back and, and play through balls and so on. And for uh, Pioli's Milan, he did really well in this because the rest of what Milan was doing was pretty structured and patterned. This Turkey team, <laughs> sort of looking at Seb as I say this, uh, has been almost too chaotic. I mean, I'm, mm. I'm here for a bit of transitional attack and chaos, but there didn't seem to be any structure. I mean, there was no structure in defense, but there was no structure yeah. in attack as well. So chaos was all bad chaos. It was all yeah. bad chaos. And so the problem for Chalanolu is that he is looking to float into the spaces where he, he's not, he's not the kind of player who will get the ball and then drive forwards with it. He's not, he's not going to thrive in those broken play situations. What he wants is for people to be making intelligent runs where he knows where that run is going to end up. So that might be like someone like Salamakas coming in from the right-hand side in Milan uh, or when Ibrahimovic was there dropping off, this kind of stuff. That's what he thrives off. And all that was happening with Turkey from the two games that I saw uh, was this sort of weird clustering in the middle where everyone was kind of getting in everyone else's way. Mm. And what's weird about it is that when we did, uh, you know, and I did the group stage tactical preview videos uh, and was was really sold on Turkey. Um, and I don't know what's changed, but this versatility and attack that they had where a number of players were used to playing a variety of different positions. So Chalanolu is usually a 10, but has played uh, as a left wide player or as a central midfielder. Various of their other attacking players had this versatility. And that seemed to create interesting and good patterns prior to the Euros. And then for some reason in the tournament, it's created a mess where they don't know where they're supposed to be. Mm. Everyone's kind of grouping around. Is there a similar standard of opposition prior to the They the beat tournament? the Netherlands 4-2. Yeah. I mean, this, this was prior to the Netherlands making that very emphatic switch to the system that they're using currently, which is interesting because that's they're the only other team who've, the Netherlands, I mean, the only other team as well as Germany who've really made quite a significant tactical shift on the eve of the tournament. And it seems to be paying off quite well for them. So yes, there is a caveat, but you still, you don't beat the Netherlands 4-2 unless you're playing good football. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm genuinely at a loss as to explain what has happened. Yeah. And that upsets me. I wonder whether there was... They started against the Italians, didn't they? Yeah. It was the first game. Yeah, it looked like they had their confidence brutalised. I, I think um, one thing I'd add is like within that chaos, there were some really strong individual performance, performances. So I, I think back to the Netherlands game and Burak Yilmaz was like amazing. For, mm -hmm. for a guy in his mid-30s, 
uh, he was riding the kind of the the wave of momentum that had him that eventually helped Lille to the French title. But he was a no show in this tournament. He had probably one or two moments on the counter attack where he looked like a, a threat, but he was nowhere near the figure that he can be. And I wonder about football teams when you when big players like that fade. And I'm not saying it's his fault. I just mean that when that happens, the effect on the younger less experienced, more impressionable types. It's kind of a ripple of, um, of negativity. And and this is quite a young Turkey side. I mean, Chalanolu is only 26, 27. I think he's a bit older than that. Tufan is... Chalanolu, 20. I'll look him up where you guys yeah, talk. Yeah, you look him up. I, I just mean that the tenants of, of their side are not young now. 27. And so they have a lot of young players and there's quite a few good young players coming through too. Yeah. Um, next generation will be interesting for Turkey. I feel like I've just branded them a dark horse again. <laughs> feels like we've ended. Well, the no, we, we talked about this before. That that um, I can't remember if it was the numbers game or Soconomics, but but one of the two early good books on the use of data in football took a number of different metrics and applied them to national teams to try and sort of yeah. divine where the next big footballing nation would come from. And Turkey had the right blend of uh, you know GDP, population growth strong domestic league, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. But they have, you know, they've lost quite a lot of of Turkish players to the German system, Yeah, many of whom have become naturalized for Germany. Chelanolu, um, apparently, according to this website, also has German citizenship as well, so. Right, so yes, there's, well, yes, because he was at- He was in the Bundesliga for a Leverkusen long time. Leverkusen and so Karlsruhe, maybe? And yeah, well. something like that. Okay. So, so that, that kind of natural, um, like cultural overlap there where there because there are a lot of Turkish families that grow up in Germany and you know people like Meza Erzl for example come mm-hmm. through the Schalke youth system that does slightly weaken Turkey's pool um and some of those players that you look at and think oh they you know they're going to be amazing players they might opt to play for Germany instead I I also worry a little bit about the domestic league it's not a it's not in a good way at the moment I mean there are good players there and there are some interesting stories but um, for English football fans or, or people that sort of don't know much about it, um, George Kevin and Cody, the former Spurs winger, who is bang average footballer, actually, to be honest, <laughs> um, had a very good year. Um, there are a couple, Vida, the big Croatian centre half, you know, kind of linchpin of the Besiktas centre yeah. um, defence. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's in the healthiest state. Um, and forgive me, I've only read part of this news story, but there's, there's some talk which I didn't fully understand about the Turkish FA introducing some kind of foreign player restriction. I don't know in which way or with what aim, but I, I sort of, you know, when you catch like the first paragraph of a news story and then rush out before you have time to read that, um, I direct people to- And then bring it up on a live show. And then bring it up on a live show. Where people come for news. kind of wish you hadn't done it because yeah. you're going to talk Tell me about it. the sack. <laughs> Maybe have a Google, you know. Digging holes. Maybe Seb's favourite thing to do. Yeah. yeah. We can have a Google. Uh, the one more thing I wanted to say on this before we move on from Turkey, because, uh, you know, there was a lot of touting them as potential dark horses before the tournament. Yeah. Too many dark horses in this tournament. We had Turkey as dark horses. I've heard people say Ukraine are kind of dark horses to go some way. Italy we've had described as dark horses, which is just not. They're just, as JJ said, they're just horses. Also, Denmark, some people have said, are dark horses too. Too many dark horses. I suppose we should define our terms a bit. What do we mean by dark horse? Or is it just a... A team that might do better than you expect them to. It's, it's a bit of a... It's kind of like a, what, something like mm. a smart-ass like me says. Be like, oh, then you'll want to, uh, you know, watch out for that turkey. Sure, but there's a, there's that, that success has to 
to achieve a certain degree, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So a team that's rubbish getting out of the groups, you wouldn't describe that as a dark horse situation. What would you, what would you if, you, if you brand someone, okay, so Turkey. I think they've got to get to the semis to be yeah, a dark horse. That's my next question. Yeah. What is yeah. the acceptable? Like what is, Ukraine, what is Denmark, Turkey, semis, dark horses. Italy are dark horses to win the tournament. I so you're looking for are. a kind of Bulgarian. Well, no, they, they're, they're not, but like that's what they were being described as by but some I, people But I don't think you can describe... I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Spain, for example, you wouldn't describe Spain as a dark horse, even though they've basically been cataclysmically bad in international tournaments since 2012. No, but I you wouldn't describe them as a dark horse because of their lineage. The, the same surely has to be said for Italy. Yeah, because I, I think it's really more about profile. Because you could say, for instance, there would you could say the Netherlands are a bit of a dark horse, but that sounds ridiculous because Cruyff total. Because they're the Netherlands. They're the Netherlands. They're a really but strong. Then Frank de Boer. Yeah. Do you know what? Italy, do you know what? Italy uh, are a dark horse, but they're not. Do you know what Croatia are? They're a seahorse because of sea. Croatia. Sea horse. We'll be back after this break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're back. 1-0 Italy against Wales. I've read that all wrong. Italy 1-0 Wales. Uh, the first note I have here, Alex, is that Italy, in this game, passed 1,000 minutes without conceding a goal and indeed finished the game without conceding a goal. That's a lot of minutes not to concede a goal. It's many minutes. Mm. Yes, it's more minutes than Jadon Sancho has played in his entire England career. Yeah. <laughs> also, particularly because in this tournament, it feels a lot like we've been talking about them in an attacking sense, you know? Perhaps it's because they're in a group where they haven't been massively challenged. Uh, but... Um, yeah. We've um, been watching their, their sort of free-flowing, fast, incisive running, attacking play. A thousand minutes, no goal conceded. Well, what's what's great about this, and you're absolutely right, this there is a lot of incisive, free-flowing, attacking play. Um, when England, when England, when Italy are on song, they are really fun to watch. But it all comes from an incredibly solid base. So today for the Wales game, uh, Bastoni came in uh, at centre-back uh, to partner Bonucci, Toloi, who is kind of an, he plays as a outside centre-back for Atalanta. So he does understand getting forwards, but he played as a right-back and then Emerson, uh, the, the Chelsea player, came in as a left-back. And you didn't see an enormous drop-off in terms of their defensive solidity. Now. So you said, did they rotate because of they're already through? Uh, yes, and also because Chiellini has an injury issue. Oh, yeah. Um, Do we know the extent of that? I, I don't. We I remember when it happened, I think on the opening night, we all said, that's tournament over, because it was kind of... Oh. The way Shim he came off was it, very, like, yeah. that's oh. done. It was kind of grab a beer, watch the rest of the tournament in the stands, sort of yeah. attitude. Yeah. And so. Bastoni was great today, by the way. Um, probably gave away more fouls than he was pinged for, and maybe should have got a yellow just on the basis of totting up, but mm -hmm. was very, very strong, and his distribution was excellent. But... Italy go to this nice kind of uh, tilted three shape where the left fullback pushes really, really high. The right winger maintains the width on the other side. And you can see this pattern developing again and again. And they're shielded pretty decently in central midfield. Today, Verratti came in for Locatelli. Mm. And boy, was he good. 
Nice to see him get some game time. Really good to see him get some game time. And I think that this poses a huge issue for Mancini now because mm-hmm. um, Locatelli has had as many shots on target as England have in the entire tournament. Mm. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up. Uh, and has obviously scored um, and, and been part of this fantastic attacking play. He can drop back. He can shield. Verratti comes in today and gives an absolute masterclass on that that left side of central midfield role. And uh, the other role is the one that pushes up that much more into the half space. So someone like Barella or Pessina did it today very ably. So does Jorginho get dropped? Because Jorginho hasn't really done much wrong, but he definitely hasn't offered the passing range of Verratti or the dynamism of Locatelli. And he's not going to play... On the other, they could go for Verratti, Locatelli, Jorginho, but I don't think they will. That would be too much of an alteration. Well, here's a question: uh, PSG, Verratti plays in that advanced position, but in a sort of semi. He's, he he has defensive ability. Let's put it that way. Uh, uh, yeah. Is that something that they could do in the later stages against bigger teams, where they have to be a bit more compact? Totally. Play this. both of them together. Yeah, play both of them together with an anchor. That that makes a lot of sense. And and I guess the the issue here for Mancini is the degree to which he wants to impose himself on teams with passing or with movement because what Barella does and what Pessina did today is to make these incisive runs into the right half space because as I said the width on the right is maintained by the winger and so there is a nice gap for a midfielder to progress into and that draws the opposition out of position it creates Mm. problems in terms of defensive structure if they play the midfield you're suggesting they will definitely have more control of the ball but they won't get the same degree of penetration in terms of running. So it's a trade-off. Okay. Do you think um, Do you think this is a tournament when people wake up to, by people I mean people who don't watch a lot of Serie A, wake up to just how good a player Barrera is? He is like, he's fabulous. I hope so. Yeah. He, he does everything. He reminds me a little bit actually of um, like a, an Italian Mason Mount in a way. Presses, good on yep. the ball, creates, scores goals. Like, quick. He's, yeah, quick. There's a, there's a physicality there. There's an intelligence in terms of movement, yeah. in terms of linking. He will occasionally bring out a really kind of sublime little piece of oh, skill as well, a, a back heel or a flick yeah. or something. But he judges those moments well. Like it's, he doesn't have to play to the crowd the entire time. I wonder um, if Italy will end up winning this tournament. I think the world falls in love with him because I think he's he's that type that you he's he plays in plays the game in what I would say is, is it quite a passionate way. Um, so he has all of this technical ability, all of this intelligence, and yet there's a kind of a, there's a life to him that mm-hmm. you don't always see in players of that type. And I think that's a really affecting quality. I love watching him. I think it's great. Yeah. And, and, you know, Italy, as I said, they rotated, they, they yeah. only, uh, Donnarumma and Bonucci started from, from what the lineup was in the last game. And certainly in defense and midfield, that didn't seem to affect their ability. I mean, Wales clearly had a game plan which was quite reductive although also very canny which i may talk I about sp- in a minute i suppose fair enough because their aim today was just not to concede goals they oh yeah knew they were going absolutely and, and especially after the red card by the way alex there's loads of people on the uh on the chat going in on the red card not happy with it what was it um so i did stand on his ankle yeah so because i was because i was watching on my laptop um, I was behind what was happening. And yeah. so Joe 
We learned about gesticulated to me what's going on with the red card. And I take my headphones off and go, what are you? And then I missed it the first time around, which was unfortunate. Um, But I got over that. Yeah, he, it was like, it was like the penalties that we were discussing yesterday, except Mm. it was slightly more to the side and on the ankle than it was on the top of the foot. Yeah, I think there was enough foot on ankle to call it an ankle challenge rather than a foot stamp. I would say so. I mean... Uh, it was... It could have been dangerous. It could have been dangerous. It. I mean, I personally, I thought Dan James's challenge on yeah. somebody earlier in the first half was considerably more reckless than what Ampadu did. If it was a yellow in a normal league game... No one would have complained. No one would have complained. Some people would have thought like, oh, that could have been a red. Yes. But then I don't exactly think anyone would have like said, it's definitely a red. Yeah. Do you guys feel some of these red cards feel a little bit opportunistic? Because I remember when I, when I, when I, when I was growing up, when I watched football, a red card was almost a last resort. Apart from things like handballs on the line or clear professional fouls, a player got a red card if he punched somebody or if he elbowed someone in the face or if it was a. It, it seemed very, it seemed very ambiguous in a way that unambiguous. Sorry, in a way that it isn't now, because it feels as if if you if you slow something down. And if you look for an opportunity to give a red card, it feels like that's the energy that... Well, we should say, though, in this right? situation, the, the red card wasn't awarded as a result of VAR. VAR checked it afterwards and held it up. But mm-hmm. he did stand on his ankle. And okay. I think right. I think it would come underneath the dangerous play uh, uh, bit of the rules. I, I still have a problem with it, though, because a red card changes the game so much. Ankle break's not enough for you, is it? Ankle break. <laughs> what is it? How many bones do they have to break? It's, it's more that... It's more that by giving a red card... The whole leg. The whole leg, the, the, the femur. <laughs> yeah, sure. By giving a red card, you are changing the game. You are stopping it from being a 11-11 contest, obviously, but you're, you're changing the nature of it. And so that's kind of why I was more comfortable with the idea of it being a last resort. What's happening it, here, though? Am I just doing that kind of when I was younger There's a little subtle thing. thing that's happening here. What you're doing is you're saying by giving a red card, you are changing the game. And, of course, by you, you mean the referee. I do, yes. And I've watched football with Seb now enough to know that sometimes Seb will shout at the TV to say, it's not about you, referee, when the referee's doing I something. I talk at the TV. Giving a card. I don't shout Okay, at the fine, you talk, talk at the talk TV, at the but you go, come on, ref, it's not about you, as if the referee is there to, I, only, ho, 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 to only make it about him. Now, another way of making this argument would be to say, Ethan Ampadu shouldn't stand on another player's ankle because he is changing the game by getting himself sent off. The language that you're using... I don't like it. I reject it. You are wrong. I think we have a problem. We should put this culture. bit on social media, shouldn't we? It's all the <laughs> we're arguing about a it's thing. Who's point. right on the red card? I just think there's a bit of a problem with refereeing culture in England. I think there are too many referees who like the profile the game affords them. I think there are a few in that group who enjoy the big decision a bit too much. And I, I also think no. Ethan Ampadu shouldn't stamp on someone's ankle, but then there's this line between a willful decision to stamp on someone's ankle and endanger an opponent versus it happened, it's kind of what you can call a footballing incident. Something that's unfortunate and you don't want to see in the game. You don't want any anybody to ever get hurt. Of course you don't. But also... I don't know. It's the, I'm it's laughing the here. Proactive. It's not a... I, also, I, personally, I would say it wasn't a stamp. Okay. To, to was me, it a, a, stamp, a stamp. It was a tread. It tread. was it was an overly zealous challenge after the ball had his, gone. It was his trajectory okay. was faster than a normal walking person's. 
Right, but a stamp okay. to me indicates almost like a holding off and then an action. My knee also bends an I intent. Stamp. Yeah, I don't think there's any intent yeah. in it. No, 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 no intent at no. all. And so, and I and I do think you know these sorts of things are. But but also with I don't know with red cards, like you were saying before, they were for things like punching and and stuff of this nature. It was newsworthy. Pe- when, people when don't people don't before. do that now. No, Nobody true. punches anyone. Nobody headbutts. When yeah. when footballers look to headbutt each other, they sort of lean in, and it's pathetic. So, I guess the the you want old school headbutting back. No, I I don't <laughs> I don't see that there's any point. You can play a game of football without without hurting people or losing your temper in that way. But at the same time, I can understand. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at this conversation. Right. In my head, I'm thinking, tell the kids of today. You know, it's very, it's In very, my day, uh, sure. people meant their headbutts. None the of this nonsense headbutting that we have now. <laughs> there, is, there is this kind of play acting, players falling over, rolling around, all of this stuff. And I know, <laughs> the game I know has I gone. so old man shouts at Cloud. No, I like it. But I also, I w- I'd like to say I, I appreciated Brandon Connor's comment in the chat. Uh, Brandon Connor said, Seb, let Joe talk. It's not all about you. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It is. Listen, we've done our we've done our match of the day bit now where we debated a red card <laughs> that Seb didn't even see. Uh, let's move on to ask a bit more about uh, Wales's uh, defensive shape, though, because you've described it here uh, as fascinating, Alex. Yes. It, it, well, I, I was fascinated by it. Okay. That's um, <laughs> well, one step on the way. I'm not sure anybody else would necessarily... Let's I, find out. It's a thing that I've not seen before. I can't remember having seen it before. So Wales lined up with a back five in a low and mid block. In the low block, that back five was then shielded by Joe Allen and then like a flat four in front of them. And occasionally players would, so they didn't start with an out and out striker. They started with Ramsey playing as a kind of false nine. So it was like a 5-4-1 almost. It was like a A 5-1-4. A 5-1-4-0. Oh, interesting. um, That is interesting. Which was interesting. Um, The wide players would push up and and try and cover the wide spaces a little bit, helped by the wing backs. What was really interesting though, was when they won back possession, however infrequently that was, um, they then shifted. So Ampadu, before he got sent off, was the central of the three centre-backs. And he then moved into a defensive midfield position. And Wales created that kind of W shape of two advanced fullbacks, two wide centre-backs and a defensive midfielder acting as a pivot that we see sides that play a 4-3-3 do. But you don't see the defensive midfielder in a 4-3-3 dropping back and being the central of three centre-backs in a block. And I just found that really interesting. Probably on my own here. No, it sounds but. interesting. I like it when there's a zero striker formation. It makes me feel like it's the future of football. Well, it, that also made a lot of sense because with... And we're uh, never going to score a goal anyway, so why have one? <laughs> partly. And in fact, the two... Be- well, the two best chances, one fell to Ramsey. He was well smothered by Donnarumma and Gareth Bale had a, a volley that really he should have done better with on the 75th minute. But... Mm you could see this intent of Ramsey to drop off and try and play balls into the channels so that the, the that James and Bale could chase onto them. Presumably and the intention there is to then have that wide player hold onto the ball. Ramsey joins, pushes up maybe with Joe Allen and, and a fullback in support there. And I think Wales had one period of about three minutes where they managed to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise it was they were pretty consistently under the cosh. Having said that, 
Italy's best chances came really from free kicks. So they scored from one. Uh, there was another lovely one where there was like a double wall. So so Italy created two fake walls and then the Welsh wall was in the middle and then they kind of moved and started running all over the place. They hit the post from that. Um, Rodon, I know for the for the chat, they like the Rodon. Rodon. You have to, say, you have to use the voice. Sorry, what's the voice? I just no, did full it well with the voices. Can, can you... Rodan. But also with a bit of a Scottish accent. So Go on. It's like Jake Rodan. Right. So. Go on. Go on, do it. Don't say the voice. Do it. You can't R- talk about Joe Rodan. Do it. Do it. R- Rodan. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Give the people what they want. So oh, what he such did. Such a lack of confidence. Go on. What he did, interestingly, was uh, because they had this five shape, um, Rodan was very frequently. Uh, defending the space in front of him really aggressively is what you call a stopper in football manager. Um, and the other two centre-backs were were holding off. And that that tallied with the way that Italy were playing with their left back getting really high and their left inside forward drifting into that space. So Rodon was pushing out to, to either stop Bellotti, who was playing through the middle, or uh, Bernadeschi, who was cutting into that left half space. And I came away from it thinking, uh, Rob Page is really smart, is basically what I was thinking. Cool. Because how, I wanted to ask, actually, because I, how good a player is Joe Roden? Because I, I have thoughts on that on that line, and it's a really divisive topic within the Tottenham fan base. Some yeah. people really rate him. Some people saw him as the, the player that was signed instead of Milan Skriniar, which I feel is really, really unfair because he's a good player. Like, What's your take on him? Some other people said he was like a... Um an android, right? An android? Like a robotic android, you know? That's how he played football, you know what I'm saying? I think he's really passionate. I mean, I... Is this a joke? He defends or? with, like, this enthusiasm, which is really affecting. I, don't, I still don't so know what I, I think saw. about him. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so Ro- Rodon is... Rodon. Did I do it better that you time? Yeah, it was pretty good. Thank you did you. great. Well done. Thank you. Um, I needed to grow into that. Mm-hmm. Um, he a bit did... like your body. He did defend that space aggressively and enthusiastically. So he, you know, he was pushing forwards. He was winning those battles. What I didn't see from him really largely because of just how much Wales were under the cosh is his ability to distribute the ball, Yeah, um, which I I believe is quite good from what I've read, but I, I haven't seen him as a ball playing defender simply because he was doing so much defensive work. Okay. But you know, Wales were organized. They had a defensive system. It was weird, but it worked. You know, they restricted Italy to one goal and, you know, they had a few shots, but it wasn't, you never looked at that performance and thought for all of the Italian pressure and possession, you never ever thought Wales were going to get battered. I didn't. I don't don't know what the group thinks. Okay. Um, Okay. But yeah. I'm excited to see them in the next round. Yeah, finished second in the group, of course. We'll come back after this break to uh, talk about UEFA, Manuel Neuer, and then a little bit later we'll do some permutations as best as we can work out, because that is uh, complicated. But I'm glad to see Wales going through. I've, sort of, I, I've thrown you a strange one there where you're not sure whether to speak or not. No, well, I, I, I will keep speaking. So apparently there are some developments in the Germany UEFA story, so perhaps maybe it's a topic for tomorrow. <laughs> 
Oh, really? Yeah, we don't know what they are yet. Uh, but uh, if the chat has to be believed and the chat doesn't really lie very often, um, the investigation has been halted. Ah. Um, so let's check on that. And if that is correct, good. Quite right. Uh, if not, we will talk about it tomorrow, I guess. All right. Yeah. In which case, we'll be back after this to talk about permutations. And we're back. What a lovely break that was. And now we're going to talk about some permutations. Permutations now. I'm dreading this because I've got to look at the uh, the wall chart. But let's begin with uh, Group A, of course. We now know the final result of Group A. Italy threw in first place. Wales threw in second place. Switzerland on four points in third place, right? Yes. So we would expect to see them progress. Although we will find... I mean, there were no teams with four points in 2016 who did not go through in third place. No. So what we think is going to happen is four points going to get you through, three points with a really good goal difference is, or probably most likely a positive goal difference, will also be enough. So this is going to be quite interesting over the coming days. But yeah, we think um, almost certainly Sweden are, are going to, uh, sorry, not Sweden, Switzerland are <laughs> going to, we're going to see them again, probably. Okay, well, most what likely. we do know is that the first placed team in Group A, which is Italy, will play the second placed team in Group C. And at the moment, the standings are as follows. The Netherlands are in first place. Ukraine are in second place with three points. Austria are in third place with three points, but less goal difference, right? So uh, the Netherlands play North Macedonia. You would assume, mm -hmm. one would assume, that they will either win or draw that game and go through first. So really we're looking at the 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 victor of Ukraine, Austria, or Ukraine in the case of a draw against Italy. Can't see beyond Ukraine. I think Ukraine are far superior to Austria. I think, uh, I don't think that would be close. Um I really like what I've seen from Ukraine. Actually, they've they've. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, over the last probably twenty years, they've developed a reputation for being a sort of stolid tournament team. When they've when they've made the tournament, they've been a kind of you don't really notice them and you don't really realise they've gone sort of side. But they've been really entertaining and and fun and uh, learned a little bit more about a couple of their players. Malinovsky, we've talked about quite a bit already. Uh, feel good about them. Feel very yeah. good about them. Ukraine, Italy. What do you think, Alex? Uh, As a hypothetical, of course. Uh, I mean, Italy will still beat them. Yeah, bridge too far. Italy, that's a very good side. I, I would say. Yeah. And and I, th I think there's a slight advantage as well that Italy have in that, you know, Malinovsky, arguably Ukraine's best player, plays in Serie A mm -hmm. and has club mates in that Italian squad. So there'll they'll be, you know, there'll be some insight into that. Um also, they'll have come across Zinchenko playing for for City and so on. So they're not they're not unknowns in that regard. That will help Italy a bit. But yeah, I, I've been really impressed with them. I've been hugely impressed with Zinchenko in this midfield role, away from the left back position. He plays for City. Malinovsky, obviously, Yaramchik is now getting linked with clubs, which is great. Um, I didn't really, I didn't used to rate Zinchenko, but I've been really impressed by how. Or by a player's ability to go from playing as a left back or a left side of any defence for yeah. an entire season, like week to week, day to day, and then to step into the middle of a midfield. That's a really difficult transition. It's much harder than it would be the other way around. If you said to a, a defensive midfielder, go and play fullback, yeah. energetically, athletically, that's a real challenge. But um, from a kind of uh, intelligence, cerebral kind of perspective, that takes a really impressive player. Yeah, really, really, really impressed with him. Like a James Milner. Like a James Milner. Who has only yep. not played two positions in the Premier League, according to Opta Data. Should we so, guess which ones they are? Yeah. Go for it. Goalkeeper. Correct. And 
Striker. Nope. Centre oh. half. Nope. He's played centre half. Yep. Left wing back. Correct. Oh. Way. Oh, no, no, Two no, out no, of three. no, no, no. But he, that, you can't have a, a difference between left back and left wing back there. Yes, you can. I feel like that's a bit of a... Because if that's what's standing between James Milner having played all outfield positions, that's a bit harsh. Hush. It's not hush now. Hush. It's not something Everything's that fine. Like, is trying to tick off. Listen, this is the permutation section. Yeah, this isn't sorry. the James Milner Got where distracted. has or hasn't he played, even though that was fun. Ukraine <laughs> are great. Ukraine uh, are great. Austria have been an embarrassment. Okay. Yeah. We're um, done with that bit. Let's move so. on. Wales have gone through second, of course. Now, this is one of the interesting groups A and groups B, where the second place teams in both groups play each other. And as it stands currently... The, uh, the standings in Group B are as follows. Belgium in first place on six points. Of course, we expect them to progress first. Russia in second place on three points. Finland also uh, on three points, but with a lesser goal difference on thir in third. And Denmark uh, with zero points. Now, we know that Denmark and Russia are to face off against each other and Belgium are to play Finland. We expect Belgium to go through first. Denmark, if they were able to win the game against Russia... It's hard to say, permutations, calculating. I don't know the answer. But Wales could play one of Russia or Finland or Denmark. <laughs> I, am, I, am I right in thinking that Denmark's goal difference is minus two at the moment? Yes, it is. Well, I think I'm also How right. How do you know that? Well, I, I think I'm also right in saying that Switzerland is only... Uh, no, sorry, Switzerland are on four points, aren't they? You know he's got a screen yeah. in front of him. I he could just be reading. You're looking at it. I'm looking at the chat and your face. You're not looking at the bit where it says they've got minus two goal difference. No, no, I'm, I'm, no. we've just watched. I, I remember looking it up before we came on. Oh, fine. Um, fine. Am I right in thinking that this thing that's written in front of me is the case? Mm, suspicious. Suspicious. Anyway, uh, Wales, I would say, have a decent chance against any of those three teams. Yeah, I'd Russia, say so. Denmark, Finland? Russia, I feel as if... Still don't quite know what they are. I think they'd beat Russia. I think they would beat Russia, but then I also remember thinking... Imagine imagine Zuba versus Rodan. Amazing. That's a battle for that the ages. That would be great. That is yeah. a... In fact, I, now that you've said that, I want to see that. Yeah. yeah I really want to see that. Can I also just... Like an end-of-level boss Zuba, isn't he? Big time. Yeah. Credit Danny Ward for his performances in goal for Wales. Sure. Um, just been really good. Doesn't ever really get a game at the top flight for anybody, but mm -hmm. has... I haven't seen him made a mistake, make a mistake yet. Unflappable. Yeah, he's just made good saves, dominated his box. Well, there was one moment today where it was slightly embarrassing. He dropped it and then tried to claim a foul, but no, no harm came from it. Um, but I think he's been really impressive. And we did talk before about that Welsh backline not really featuring anybody who was regularly playing in a top league. Um, and they have excelled. Joe Roden. He's not regularly playing in the top league, is he? Uh, I feel like he's semi-regular. I mean, he doesn't play a lot for Spurs, but like a, a, a member of a top flight side. Yeah, but there's a... I feel like this was a point about a um, how Wales' set piece undid a defence who were all playing at Champions League level. We outthought ourselves a little bit with this. Possibly. Permutations. Permutations. Switzerland uh, are going through probably... In third yeah. place. We're saying probably, but it's almost certain they're going through in third place. Now, here's where it becomes interesting, because Switzerland could either play Belgium, if they finish first in Group B. They could play, uh, I guess, a, well, Group E is pretty much undecided as the moment. If Spain win their final game, then you might assume it will be Spain. Could be Slovakia still. Uh, or they could play whoever wins Group F, which, again, who knows what who that's going to be. But it could be France or Germany. 
Permutations. Permutations. I, I, I feel this section is a little loose. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, what it says in the plan in bold in capitals is do a bit of stuff on the permutations. Yeah. No, I, I don't. That's that's not a criticism of us. I feel like UEFA have put us in this position where we basically haven't got a clue. I don't, I, the thing is, say. I don't think I'll know until they tell me what the fixtures are. Yeah. I can't. I don't even know how they work out. So if we say that the third place in Group A could be in Game Four, Game Six, or Game Eight of the knockout phase in the sixty in the round of sixteen, I don't know how they decide which one goes where. No, I, I also think that's a real flaw because presumably those games all occur different atmospheres, different uh, different climates, and different time zones. It feels like a unnecessary complication. That's definitely what Joe was thinking of when he said he didn't want the tournament spread across Europe. Mm. Different what? atmospheric conditions. Yeah. It just feels very strained. Like if I if I if I'm one of those third place teams and I'm waiting to find out who I'm facing, it how do I prepare for that? I understand there's always a little bit of that in knockout football, but you can have a better guess as it, better guess at it even. Um, within a normal format because you think, well, we can either face this team or this team and you can sort of future plan. But if that future planning involves, what, like a, an eight-hour flight versus a, an hour-and-a-half flight, I don't mm. I don't like that. I know that's also kind of a bit of a back-in-my-day type of situation when there were only eight teams in the European <laughs> Championship and it was much better. When they used to and sail yet, to the other country. I was yeah. going to say, And yeah. that's why away goals had to count because, you know, two-and-a-half weeks on a boat before your quarterfinal. David Ashmore in the chat calls this the Joe points at things segment, which, yes, is pretty apt, isn't it? So let's move on to the final segment where uh, we talk about the game which has now been named. I'll try to remember who uh, sent me that tweet. I'll mention it on tomorrow's episode. But the game which has now been named by the family playing it, points are bad, all capitals. Points are bad. Is that all one word as well? No, it's not all one word. That would be that would be crazy. But is it, it is all in capitals and points are bad. That's the game. Oh, as in points are bad no it's no it's not that would be good yeah. branding do you that want to make, guess anything else make, about it uh no but no 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 you done now i'm done all oh, right done. points are bad <laughs> uh you're done in more ways than one seven and we'll come to that shortly uh alex you had a bad day i think it's fair to say you had a bad day now do you remember yesterday when i said at this point in the podcast i think you will remember it do you want to change your prediction because there's going to be goals in the switzerland turkey game and you'd said nil-nil. I think I think without thinking about it, or maybe having one of those, you know, Alex Stewart moments that sometimes you do. And you were wrong, of course, and I was pretty much right. I mean, I was exactly right at one point in the game. Uh, the, the ending up result was a 3-1. You gained four points on that game there. Now, mm. now looking back, do you regret your decision to uh, be prideful rather than accurate? Did you say you were exactly right at one point? I was exactly right at one point, yeah. So was I. Well, for less time than me. Oh. Less time than me. That's yeah. what we'll say. Six and a half minutes, I think. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. You don't regret it at all? Well, I'm still winning, aren't I? You, so... By one point, you are still winning. Sure. What's the difference between your points tally and mine? The difference between our points tally right now is uh, six plus a lot of meme voting. So that's why, that's how I have the upper road Sorry, here. Sorry, what is what? What I'm saying is that I've made joke predictions and I'm still doing okay. That, it, I, that's it's good. You've made all safe ones and you're doing just fine. Safe. First place. There's games left to come. This is There's games to come. No, because it, no, no, shush now. Mm. Listen, you're still in first place. Very impressive. 46 points. JJ's caught up with you though. He's on 47 Plus yeah. all of his terrible penalties. Yeah. But he keeps... JJ, if you're watching, 
do predict tomorrow's games. You can't incur any more three-point penalties. They will go up to five points <laughs> if you miss any more games. Unacceptable. Uh, but here's where we have a lot of fun, Alex. Because there's someone who I want to make fun of even more than you, yeah? Oh, is that? Oh, okay. And it's Seb. Because Seb is now last place. Seb is last place. Behind me. Behind me. Yeah. I the font of all I, knowledge, I, I Seb. I can't spend that. I can't spend You've that. had it's a terrible a, day I've as had well. a bad tournament. I've had a bad day. 53 points. Points are bad. And you've got 53 of them. What's really cost me has been my loyalty to Turkey. Yeah, you've predicted taken <laughs> so many every points. Yeah. Every single game, no matter what I learn, how bad they are, there's something that <laughs> goes, yeah, they'll win 3 0. What, what did you say for this Turkey game? Uh, two, uh, 1 0, Turkey. To Turkey. Yeah. Which was a poor prediction, as it turned out. Sure. Because there's lots of poor goals. Is my prediction. And the idea that either of those teams was going to keep a clean sheet was absolutely ludicrous. Oh, well, there we go. Now. So what, you're both digging me out. Yeah, everyone's digging each other Fantastic. here, apart from nobody's digging me because I'm the winner. Uh, now we have predictions for tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to start with your four games to, to go through. So let's let's go quick through these. And uh, if you wouldn't mind remembering what you've said and then writing them down immediately as you do it, that would be great. Well, I shall keep notes on my notes. You can keep pad. notes. Great. Can you keep notes for everyone? These are the games. <sighs> Finland, Belgium is the first game. I must. Then we've got Russia, Denmark. I mean, they're literally in front of me. Then so we've. I I'm, can just read. Them. I'm telling the listeners, <laughs> not telling you. <laughs> People can't see them. Uh, they're in front of you. <laughs> then we, it's very warm in here. Then we've got Macedonia, Netherlands, North Macedonia, sorry, Netherlands. And uh, then we've got uh, Ukraine, Austria. Very exciting, very exciting. So, Seb, you'll be the first to predict here. Let's go with uh, Finland, Belgium, please. Uh, Tino, Belgium. Okay, and uh, uh, Russia, Denmark. It's one, a tough one. One, one, one all. Yeah. Okay, so Russia going through second, then yeah. you predict. Yeah. yeah. Uh, North Macedonia versus Netherlands. North Macedonia 1-0. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're really reacting badly to ball. being I, behind. I, 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 I'm, I've lost it a little bit. No, I'm this isn't. into that direction. This is the mistake that gamblers make when yeah, they start just, to I'm lose. I'm trying to chase my losses by, no. it's the kind of the Magnus Carlsen gambling decision, isn't it? Yeah. When you, when you go for the... Bad. Yeah. And Ukraine, Austria? 3-0 Ukraine. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that would make me cough too. Yeah. Uh, Alex, uh, can we start with Finland, Belgium for you? Uh, no, can you go first? Because otherwise sure. it will change the Oh, fine, yeah, I've okay. F Finland, Belgium for me uh, will be uh, a one to Finland and uh, one to Belgium. Yeah? Nice, nice. And uh, Russia, Denmark, I'm going to go with a one-nil Denmark win. And I believe that'll put Finland through in second place. What an achievement that would be. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, North Macedonia versus the Netherlands. I am going to say that that game will end 2-1 to the Netherlands. And Ukraine-Austria, I will say, will end 2-1 to Ukraine. Okay, so... 3-1 Belgium. Um... Russia, Denmark, one all. Macedonia, Netherlands. I don't know, man. <laughs> no, no, no one knows. I mean, no, that's I know. the game. I, it's just 
Yeah. Say things. Say things. 3 1 Go. to the Netherlands. Ooh. Ukraine, Austria, 2 0. Make to... it more goals. Say more goals. The Ukraine. Yeah, say more goals. Yeah. What goals? I don't know. 2 0, did you say? Fine. Okay. Well, there we go. Uh, that was a long, drawn out bit where we say numbers. And well, yet, people are still listening. That's it's bizarre, isn't it? 12 instances of score generation, isn't it? It's not going to be scintillating. <laughs> 24 numbers there. Uh, what world are we living in? Okay. Well, that's the end of the podcast now. We will be back tomorrow to discuss the games that are the ones we've just talked about. Very, there we go. That was, a, that was a nice way of rounding up, wasn't it? Alex Stewart, thanking be to you. Thank you very much, Joe. I won't be here tomorrow. Oh, no, of course you won't. No. You'll be back next weekend. Uh, yes, I will. Lovely. After the little yeah. break we've had on Thursday and very Friday. Very much looking forward to that. Yes, please. That's going to be fun. So we'll have JJ for the week. Uh, we'll make sure that he does his predictions for tomorrow. Uh, Seb stafford Law, we'll see you tomorrow. Well, indeed. Thank you, Joe Devine. Oh, and we should mention also uh, that, you know, who else uh, says numbers in a boring way? Uncle Damien at the Odd Red Line. It's, it's Uncle Damien. If you're still listening to the podcast and you haven't yet been to the Old Red Line or at least Googled it or at least tweeted at it, uh, and said, uh, just said, hi, Uncle Damien, by tweeting at ORL Pub. Uh, that would be great fun for me. Uh, I will, that will, you know, that will make Uncle Damien oh, do go, do smile and or be very confused. It is genuinely a great place to watch football. We love so, it. It makes it a shame that we have to watch football in the office, actually. And by the way, this isn't an advert. This is a familial commitment. There we go. Okay. Uh, thank you, of course, as usual, to uh, Sol and Craig, our fantastic production team. And Sol now is going to wave the camera look at that hand what a fantastic hand it is okay that's the end of the show see you tomorrow gang a farewell goodbye